creating, lovingly creating objects and then bringing them to life in performance, we think it's far more transcendent. When we're speaking with our national and international collaborators, we just like scream Brisbane's praises as a place to make work. What is missing here in Brisbane is that kind of perfect medium-sized venue. IMHO invites you to be the judge. In this podcast, we turn the microphone back on the leaders of the arts and entertainment industry and ask them to tell us what they really think. These are their unflinching and unfiltered answers and their honest opinions. In their own words, Nicholas Payne and David Morton are hell-bent on bringing their inimitable brand of entertainment to the world. In everyone else's book, they're the two guys who have registered one of the coolest company names in showbiz. As founders of the gloriously named Dead Puppet Society, Nick and David create deeply imaginative theatre where the old school meets the technological and the mythic meets the modern. Today, they meet IMHO's podcast and honestly, we are dying to know what's next for these theatrical puppet masters. Thanks for coming, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us, Belinda. Um, so what came first, the company or the company name? Definitely the company. It, um, it, it formed with a much larger group of collaborators while we were studying at QUT uh, in about 2008. Uh, and we had secured our first booking for a production through the Brisbane Festival um, with Under the Radar and their brochure was going to print and we knew exactly what the work was but we had no idea what the company name was and we decided that we wanted to function, you know, under a, under a banner that we could start to attach things to rather than as our individual names. And um, so we got obnoxiously drunk and started inserting the word puppet into famous movie titles and Dead Puppet Society just stuck. And we knew that we were definitely going to change it when we came up with a better idea and it's now 12 years old. <laughs> so what, were the, what was on the reject pile? Oh, look, there was, there was some fun ones. Puppet Proof Fence was a definite no-no. Um, what else? Do you remember there any other? That's honestly the only one, other one I can remember. Lord Puppet of the Proof Puppets Fence. was definitely there. It was um, quite a night. <laughs> Well, as you said, it's been 12 years or, or probably just over 10 years since you staged your first main stage production, which was yeah. the Brisbane Festival um, 2009. What have been the big highlights over the last 10 years for Dead Puppet Society? Yeah, so we've done work um, both locally here in Brisbane, interstate in Sydney and a few national tours. But I think the one that takes the cake is that uh, last year we had a production of The Wider Earth at the Natural History Museum in London and that was a five-month com commercial run. Um, yeah, fantastic. So that started with Queensland Theatre. Yep. And how did it come about then? Did somebody come and see it or had it been, had you got the commission before it had even made its debut? Yeah, it actually had a first development in New York. Um, David and I decided to base the company between the US and Australia for about a five-year um, period just to really test the market over there um, but also because we loved the thought of living in New York City uh, and so we applied with that concept to St Anne's Warehouse so we actually started developing it there at St Anne's which is a, a development um, building in Brooklyn and then someone from Queensland Theatre actually came to see the showing that we did there and we were then commissioned to create the script for the show and then that was picked up to be co-produced with Queensland Theatre in 2016. Do you still find yourself facing the misconception that puppets are for children? Oh my gosh, this is the conversation we've had about five times today in various meetings. Absolutely. We, um, when, we, when we first started the company, we were so adamant that we were making theatre and like main stage large scale theatre and that it would be for adults but that there'd be nothing in it that meant that younger people couldn't come, but that we were very we hell-bent on this idea that it was, yeah, it was adult theatre. Um, 
And yeah, in the, in the last couple of years, I think that we've been slightly less ruthless <laughs> with that and things have started to slip a little bit. But yeah, some of the work that we've got coming up is much more adult, thankfully. But yeah, absolutely. It's such a misconception that everyone has that somehow it's this, as an art form, it doesn't have the, the same degree of you know, poetry or nuance that other forms of performance does and it's like when it's yes sure if it's a fairy monster maybe that's right but you know if you are creating lovingly creating objects and then bringing them to life in performance we think it's far more transcendent do you feel that over the last decade more people have started to embrace this as an all-ages art form I, I think that definitely the market has changed I think that we notice that most specifically when we're now talking with producers and artistic directors of various companies that you know they've seen the work that we've done, but more so work that is happening internationally at the moment, which is helping to do exactly the same thing. Can you pinpoint a tipping point at all in your career or in your company's career where people finally started to go, oh, not just for kids? Yeah, it's funny, actually, when we first started making work, um, it was much more in the Australian Gothic um, Tim Burton-esque kind of realm but then we actually started making a few other shows like Argus which were puppets all made of, out of performers hands where people actually started to put us a little more into that category but when, we're now at a point now where we're trying to claw that back a little bit you know we've had great success with Laserbeak Man but every single city we've taken it to people go oh because of the bright colors the use of puppets you know they're for kids so we're kind of on the other end of of that coin at the moment yeah so you're entering your second decade. Tell us what the next 10 years have in store. We're a company that have global ambition, really. Um, so we want, we want to continue to work internationally. We're really committed to Brisbane as our home base. The, the city's been very great to us here and, and all the partners that we work with. So we will continue to make work here. Brisbane is a really fantastic city to uh, create new work, but... We, we will continue to tour. So we're basically trying to create a new work every year and then have that work tour internationally. We're trying to find a balance between making work in a subsidised model but also work that can um, speak to a more commercial audience too. So we hope to grow that. So that's the theatre production side of things but we're also wanting to uh, create more outdoor spectacle-driven work through our new activations program as well. There's a lot in that. You're Season 2020 program cryptically hints that you are continuing work with your international collaborators and partners. What can you spill about that? Yeah, so our next work will be a, a production with Brisbane Festival um, in September. It's a, a production called Ishmael and uh, it's an adaptation of Moby Dick but set a thousand years in the future and we've already had a, a lot of international interest for that production. So we'll be um, doing a little bit of work in partnership with Lincoln Centre in New York on that particular piece. We'll also continue our partnership with Glass Half Full Productions as well. There's no kind of commitment um, to continue work together at this point but the UK market is definitely one that we'll continue to pursue and then we're also in conversation with a lot of venues in regional UK about touring the wider earth um, to regional UK as, as well. You said that Brisbane is still home base and indeed you, you got your start here and you, you trained here at QUT. What are your thoughts on the Brisbane arts industry over the past 12 or 13 years? Do you think this city is an arts incubator or inhibitor? Well that's such a good question. We uh, graduated from QUT at an incredibly 
uh, lucky time where there was a really clear trajectory for artists, particularly artists wanting to work in theatre and particularly artists that were wanting to make theatre work of scale. Because um, uh, our work was never really the sort of thing that we could put into like an anywhere theatre festival sort of, you know, market or something that we could bump into a Spiegel tent for a, you know, a one night only show. It's always stuff that was quite technical. Um, so when we when we graduated, there was a really clear trajectory from um, university into postgrad study, into Metro Arts independent program, into La Boite's independent program, onto La Boite's main stage through to working with the powerhouse and Queensland Theatre. I don't think that that exists anymore. I think it's interesting, though, around the time that we were going through those programs, there were, you know, a lot of independent companies that showed Mm. a lot of promise. And they're the companies like ourselves, if I can say that, like The Good Room, like Baloo. Danger Ensemble. Danger Ensemble, you know, and they're continuing to make work now. You're an arts company in Brisbane. You've created this amazing work. You're ready to take it out to show people. Do you think that there are enough performance venues in Brisbane to cater for all different style and sizes of productions? Do we need more venues? Yeah, I think what is missing here in Brisbane is that medium, kind of perfect medium-sized venue, the 500-seat venue, Black Box or Proscenium March. But I think there's a lot of work um, that is bigger than can fit in a space like the Cremorne at QPAC and, and has more of an audience demand to, to service the work too. But at the same time, you know, particularly for the independent companies, making a work for a 1,500, 2,000-seat venue might be a few too many people. So, yeah, compared to the other cities, I, th- I think that's what's missing here. Mm. Well, away from the theatre then, outdoor activations – This is a a sector that you've really made headway in with Dead Puppet Society. Tell me a bit about some of the stuff that you've been doing in that that outdoor activation. Yeah, it sort of all sprang from the fact that we we do these productions and we spend, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks, months sometimes building these puppets, these animal mostly creations. And then, you know, they they live out their life in these dark rooms with a, a few hundred people a night watching them. And then at the end of a couple of weeks, they go in a box and get put away forever. And that's the best case scenario. So we were just sort of like, this just seems utterly stupid that we've got these things that are just sitting there waiting to go out. So yeah, we started working late last year with um, Jan Livingston, one of our really close collaborators on what it would look like to start packaging some of those things to be able to rove and to take into public spaces. And um, and from there, that's already launched into us looking at uh, original commissions for outdoor-based work, both, um, both roving performance work, but also sculptural installation. What was megafauna? Was that a commission or was that utilising existing puppets and props? Yeah, that was the project really in addition to wanting to give life to some of the puppets that have been made for productions. Really that was a project that inspired the activation um, component of the company as well. That was a commission from Flow State when the South Bank venue had its year of programming and then um, with Festival 2018 for the year of the Commonwealth Games. So, yeah, we were really excited about that work and we can share too that it will be in Brisbane again uh, in a couple of weeks' time and then touring around Australia later in the year too. Brilliant. Where will we be able to spot it in Brisbane? So it'll be World Science Festival um, in March. Yeah. Oh, sounds great. In addition to your outdoor activations and your, your touring productions, you also have a lot to do with the education sector. You've partnered, I believe, with both Queensland and New South Wales education authorities. How did that come about and what, what does that entail? 
Yeah, when we first started making work, um, kind of happened naturally, really. We had great interest from high school students particularly to come and see our work. And really that came down to the fact that there weren't any other companies creating visual theatre and, and puppetry, particularly here in Queensland. But puppetry had also been a new addition to the syllabus. So um, it was kind of convenient, really. But we just find that young people connect to our work and, and our methods of creating visual theatre in a really authentic, genuine way. I think there's something about um, devising visual theatre, but also the integration of puppetry in a classroom where they're the ones behind the puppet rather than having to play the actor or the character. So people who are maybe a little less confident have a great time working with puppets. But we've also loved working with teachers and educating them into our way of making work so that they can then integrate that into their classroom too. Because we try with the way that we teach it to like shake the dust off the concept of the term puppet. And it's like there's these aren't, you know, when we're doing it in, in schools and also in our productions, they're not these craggy old, you know, ugly, scary figures. It's like, no, these are like little creatures that are made in our workshops, for example, of brown paper that are capable of running, jumping, flying, burning, you know, doing all sorts of amazing things that particularly young people are super used to seeing across all of the other various media that they interact with. And it, we like to think that it's a way that the theatre medium can lean more strongly into that sort of filmic language or that place where a lot of things are possible. Like we get in a lot of trouble if we had to rip the limb off one of our performers, but it's fine for a puppet. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are possible. And with these puppets that you've created, be honest, do you have a favourite one? Yeah, I do. My favourite is one that I don't know if anyone who's ever seen our shows would ever have even seen. <laughs> it's this tiny little flightless cormorant from the Galapagos Islands that was in the wider earth and was operated by the amazing Margie Brownash in that show. And this little cormorant had so much life, but I'm, I've sort of like made a fairly fundamental error and painted it exactly the same colour as the set. Oh. <laughs> so it's sort of, other than there was a few times where it came forward to swim in light, it was almost totally invisible, but that's my, by far my favourite puppet that we've ever made. Yeah. What about yeah. you, Nick? I love the, the bird puppets in the wider earth, but I guess just to say something a little bit different, the puppet we made out of performer's hands for Argus was so deeply imaginative, I thought, and um, really, yeah, it made, made audiences work and, and use their imaginations in a way that the laser-cut puppets probably don't... Um, yeah. That puppet was amazing because they could, like, the ensemble could run and smash the puppet to nothing in a wall and then pull it out of another wall, like, you know, because it actually didn't have any physical form. Like, it was... Yeah, it was, that was really cool. Maybe you're right. I'm still going to go with the comment. <laughs> How long is the process to bring these puppet masterpieces to life? I mean, you said they're, they're little creatures made out of brown paper that do all these things, but surely there's a bit of work that goes into it. Yeah, we've... Uh, the works themselves are like a number of years, usually, from the initial commissioning conversations through to production. Like, uh, yeah like a lot of years, like Laser Week Man, we first started speaking about in 2013 and it didn't see the light of day till the end of 2017. So a long time. Um, the puppets specifically themselves though, where we're getting much quicker. We, you know, the big, the big thing, which is a bit puppet nerdy for a moment, but whatever, is that uh, in, in our sort of field is around finding your own visual aesthetic for the work that you make because you know, it's, we see lots of stuff on, on Instagram and stuff anyway where everyone makes the Jim Henson style Sesame Street monsters and it's like, oh, it's so boring, you know, that's been done before. Um, and I think that we were, we were flailing around for a long time looking at carved wood and looking at trying to cast things out of silicon and just didn't really gel with anything until we started the build for Wider Earth over in uh, the US. 
And due to our schedule, we were only arriving back in uh, Brisbane like four months before the production went up, which is nowhere near enough time to do sculpts and to build all of the creatures because there were like 40-something animals in that show. Like it was nuts. And so we decided that we would try laser cutting and that we would do all of the design on a computer so that all we had to do when we hit the workshop was plug the pieces together and and install the mechanisms. Um, and so we spent, I spent about eight months in CAD drawing shapes. Now over 16,000 different shapes in that show that were all then cut from wood that got plugged together. But that was an ordeal <laughs> because we also didn't get to test any of them until we got back to Australia and our laser cutter cut them all out and we plugged them together and we're like, oh my gosh, this works. And now it's really efficient. Like all the puppets for Laser Beak Man were four days to do all the CAD. And how many puppets did you have for that show? 30. Okay. So that's a yeah, real quick. The um, the pelicans for Storm Boy were, was about two weeks of of specific cat drawing time, but it just takes a lot of the trial and error out because we know that it's going to work in a digital space, and so we can yeah print them out. Yeah, uh, just on Laser Beak Man, the, you had an incredible collaboration with that. Uh, uh, Ballpark Music or Sam, Sam Cromack yeah. uh, wrote the music for it and performed it on stage. You had the fantastic artwork of Tim Sharp as the source material. Do you have any other mind-blowing uh, collaborations coming up that you can tell us about? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the work that we're making for Brisbane Festival in September, the school will, will be another original school with music by Beck Sandridge, who is wow. a yeah Wollongong, uh, New South Wales-based artist, um, but works in a really yeah awesome synthy pop rock kind of genre. Um, so I think that will lend itself really nicely to to the work. Okay, and we'd like to end this with what we call five honest answers, which is a quick fire round of five questions selected at random from my list. First thing that pops into your head, what is your pet audience peeve? Oh, children being brought in when the show is not for them. Yeah. Really young kids. Like, it's like, what? We did a couple of shows last week where they were like three and four year olds. It's like, no. <laughs> People being on their phones, like, come on, theatre is a place where you can actually disconnect, put them away, get off your phone. There we go. We had a strong opinion about that one. <laughs> of all the performances that you've seen, what one costume or set piece would you steal if you knew that you would never get caught? Oh, my gosh. I think Shakespeare in Love, Melbourne Theatre Company, some of those handcrafted Elizabethan costumes, why not? I'm sure they'd come in handy for a costume party at some point. I think mine would probably be that massive, big, amazing, like, paperback tree slash cliff face slash water slide from Secret River. Are ticket prices to live performances too high? I think it depends on the venue. I think... Um, for the commercial musicals, yes, I totally understand why they need to be that high, but I think it does um, limit the possibilities of a lot of people. But I think across the board in Brisbane, ticket prices are, are standard and accessible. Ditto. <laughs> Who's the most exciting theatre maker in Australia at the moment? Oh, my gosh, in Australia. Why are we freaking about this? I feel like I've got like 60 faces just going bang, 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 in front. Oh, gosh. I think my very favourite artist is Jonathan Oxlade, designer. I just think his aesthetic is so brilliant. That's awesome. Why can I not think of anyone still? 
I feel like I'm not – I'd like to just say for the public record that it's not that I'm not thinking of anyone. It's that I have such a – I'm having so much difficulty putting one name above them because I just think that what's so stunning about our industry is how collaborative it is. How very diplomatic of yeah, you. I Let's know. see if we can do that with our final question. Oh, God, good luck. What is your favourite Queensland event or theatre company? A Brisbane festival. Yeah, I have to say Brisbane Festival as well. I'm going to say because it brings everyone together and (laughs) because all of the other amazing companies get profiled. I think because it it gives an opportunity to locals to make work that might be a little more out of the box, but it also Mm. brings fantastic international work in that Brisbane audiences wouldn't always have access to otherwise. I think the festival does such a good job too of appealing to an audience that might not necessarily be an arts-focused audience. You know, I think that it's, yeah... I really appreciate it for that. I feel like you know when the festival's on in Brisbane. David and Nick, thank you so much for your honest answers. Thank you. Hey, thank you. Having us. Thanks for listening to IMHO. Make sure you subscribe and, in the spirit of the podcast, rate and review us wherever you listen to great podcasts. For honest opinions, ratings you can relate to, and the latest arts and entertainment news, check out inmyhonestopinion.com.au. Hold up. 